This morning, I want to speak to you on this subject, the truth about truth. Today, we begin a new series of sermons, before sermons, entitled Culture Shift. And we're going to deal with some of these hard issues that the culture is pressing upon us today and, the next, and then the following three weeks. So I'm so glad that you're here to worship the Lord our God on this day that we affectionately call Mother's Day. If you're a mother in this room, would you stand up, please? All moms, stand up. Let's give them a hand, church family. Amen. How blessed we are to have witnessed the moms and dads of these young families dedicating their children to the Lord Jesus Christ earlier. God ordained this thing that we call family when he created Adam and Eve at the very beginning of time. And he told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In the beginning, they lived in a perfect world. They lived in the Garden of Eden. Everything was absolutely perfect. They had intimate fellowship with God, with each other. There was, uh, there was um, intimacy between the various kingdoms, the, the, the animal kingdom and the first human beings, Adam and Eve. But something happened. They sinned against God. And a perfect world became a fallen world. And I would say to everyone within the sound of my voice, it's not easy to raise a family in a fallen world. Every day we are targeted by subtle and not so subtle cultural messages that threaten to destroy our families and to rob our children and grandchildren of the abundant life that God wants them to have. I would be even so bold as to say that we are witnessing an enormous seismic shift taking place in our culture before our very eyes. Al Mohler made the following observation. He said, an honest evaluation reveals that many of the most cherished assumptions of our culture are in direct conflict with the teachings of Christ. We cannot compromise with a worldview based on the assumption that truth is relative or that truth is socially constructed. We find ourselves in a bit of a dilemma as Christian families. Our identity in Christ means that we must think seriously about these issues. We must think seriously about marriage. We must think seriously about children. We must think seriously about sexual orientation and transgenderism and the sanctity of life. Jesus has challenged us to be salt and light to a decaying culture. And we live in a decaying world and in a decaying culture. The world is not going to get better. 
In fact, the Bible says that the world is going to get worse as the time of our Lord's appearing draws near. But we've got to understand that we must love the Lord first and foremost. We must be faithful to the Lord. But we also have a responsibility to love people who don't believe what we believe. They deserve to hear the gospel. They deserve to experience the hope and help that only the Lord Jesus Christ can provide. Therein lies our dilemma. When it comes to the major cultural issues that I just mentioned, the key defense from those who would oppose us is based on one word, one word. Here's the word, truth. If a believer were to engage them in a conversation, they would likely reply like this. There are no absolute truths. You have your truth, I have my truth. What's true for you might not be true for me. Are they right? Is truth relative? Is it constructed in our social settings? Oprah Winfrey is certainly a poster child for this philosophy. When she received a Lifetime Achievement Award at the 2018 Golden Globes, she said this during her acceptance speech. I want you to hear what she said. What I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful truth we have. Now this your truth philosophy has become so commonplace in our culture that we barely recognize the danger that it presents. For instance, if your truth conflicts with my truth, how can we determine who's right and who's wrong? If we're not careful, power can be the deciding factor on whose truth we adopt. And that is a disaster waiting to happen. One of the pastors at Watermark Church in Dallas, Texas, made the following statement. He said, we have sat back in our passivity and we have let the culture raise our kids. We've let the culture disciple our kids because we are not intentional about doing that. We've let the media raise our kids. We've let other parents' kids raise our kids. We've let coaches and teachers raise our kids. Our kids are getting all of this information from places that may not be godly. Is there not a standard of absolute truth that can serve as a foundation for families? I certainly believe that absolute foundational truth can be found in this book, the Bible. I believe it with all my heart. So I want you to take your Bible for just a moment and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Here's the context here in Deuteronomy 6. God loved the people of Israel. In fact, he had made a covenant with them. 
After suffering under Egyptian bondage for around 400 years, God sent Moses to take his people out of Egypt and to bring them into this wonderful new place to live and to raise their families. However, they had developed some bad ideas and some bad habits while they were in Egypt. They even bought in to this concept that their truth should be the determining factor in establishing their core values and the direction for their lives and the direction of their families. As a result, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness because of their disobedience to God. Finally, after the older generations had had died, the younger generation under the leadership of Joshua and Caleb were on the verge of inheriting the land that God had promised to the nation of Israel. The promised land was filled with nations that worshiped other gods and embraced a multitude of sinful practices. They had their truth in those nations and the families of Israel would need to go into that promised land and hammer out a life for themselves and their families that would honor God. Here's what Moses told them before they entered the land. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. I want you to hear it. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey." Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Believe me, the land that they were about to occupy was filled with people and nations and communities who had their own truth, and their truth was in direct opposition to the truth that Moses had taught the people to make sure that they teach their kids and their grandkids. To counteract the impact of a culture devoid of foundational truth, Moses wanted those dads and those moms to be intentional in raising their kids. Here's the challenge he dropped in their hearts. I want you to remember this. Nobody's truth 
trumps God's truth. I want you to say that with me. It's very important. Nobody's truth trumps God's truth. I don't care if it's the truth that comes out of a white house. I don't care if it's the truth that comes out of a schoolhouse. I don't care where it comes. If it counteracts or, or contradicts God's word, it's not true. It's not true. Dad and mom, you must teach your kids the truth about truth. Here's the problem. According to Barna's recent survey, and I quote, Parents to whom the Bible assigns the primary responsibility for shaping the worldview of their children are called to equip youngsters to grow up in relationship and service to God. That requires the intentional and consistent development of a biblical worldview in the minds and hearts of children since every person's worldview begins developing, listen, before their second birthday. I want to repeat that. Every person's worldview begins development before their second birthday. Yet parents are not devoted to a biblical worldview development in their children, partly because they do not possess a biblical worldview to pass on to their progeny. The Cultural Research Center's findings reveal that a paltry 2% of the parents of preteens, children in the worldview development window has a biblical worldview, 2%. I'm not talking about kids, I'm talking about parents. 2% have a biblical worldview. A big reason for the lack of a biblical worldview in parents today is syncretism. This ideology is described as a worldview that merges otherwise incompatible philosophies of life into a made-to-order worldview that incorporates enough biblical elements to be minimally Christian in nature. Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ has not called us, called us to be minimum in anything, especially in what we believe. He expects us to have strong biblical convictions as Christian parents. Let me ask you, does the Bible serve as your basis for determining what is right and what's wrong in your family? When you make decisions as a family, do you consult the word of God and pray for guidance? Do you pray and ask God for help? Is your system of core values based on the truth of God's word? Do you capitalize on teachable moments to emphasize to your kids the importance of knowing God's truth and obeying him? This is what it means to have a biblical worldview. Remember this, dad and mom. You can't pass down to your kids something that you don't possess yourself. And I, I would challenge every mom and dad every grandmother and grandfather in this room and those watching by live stream to make sure that you have a biblical worldview that you can pass on to the next generation. One thing that we should have as Christians, we ought to, we ought to have a legacy. We ought to have a legacy of faith that we pass down 
to the generations that follow us. If I were in a courtroom seeking to make a case for the truth of God serving as the foundation for families and individuals, I would point out three things. Number one, I would point out the sufficiency of the Bible. So how does God reveal his truth? Well, the Bible is God's infallible source of truth. Get this now. Don't miss this. Jesus, the Son of God, believed in the sufficiency of Scripture. I know that may not surprise you, but it would be surprising to a lot of people in our culture today. If anybody on earth could speak with authority and not use the Bible, Jesus could do that, right? Yet he constantly quoted the Old Testament scriptures to help his disciples understand the truth of God. In Luke 24, 27, the Bible says that after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he met some of the disciples and listen to what the Bible says in chapter 24, verse 27 of Luke's gospel. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Jesus used the Bible, the Old Testament scriptures, to explain to his disciples the meaning of the cross and the redemption that Jesus had come to provide. And he used the Old Testament scriptures to explain to his disciples the glory of his resurrection and that this was something that had been prophesied for hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of years. The Son of God wanted the faith of believers to rest on Bible truth, not their experiences, not their social settings, and certainly not their opinions. Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 13, verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Let me tell you, as long as this earth exists, I'm telling you the word of God will be here. Communists can try to destroy the Word of God. Atheists can try to discredit it. But I'm telling you, friend, the Bible will be here as long as Jesus tarries. I'm telling you. Nobody can destroy the Bible. The Bible is truth without mixture of error. It is permanent and it is powerful beyond anything you can dream, think, or imagine. God's truth will never change. It will never change. There are no updates to God's truth. You know why? Because God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In our culture today, they keep moving the moral milestones. They, they keep moving the signposts. Everything changes. But I'm telling you with God, nothing changes. His truth is eternal. The Bible that I hold in my hands has always been and will always be sufficient. 
The second thing I would say, if I were in a courtroom making a case for the truth of God's word, not only the sufficiency of scripture, but the authority of the Bible. God's authority stands behind the Bible because he inspired every word in it. Carl F. H. Henry made the following statement, and I quote, inspiration is that supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit, whereby the sacred writers were divinely supervised in their production of scripture, being restrained from error and guided in the choice of words they used consistently with their uh, distinct personalities and stylistic peculiarities. God is the source of holy scripture. Christ Jesus is the central message of holy scripture and the Holy Spirit who inspired it illumines its message to the reader and helps the reader to understand it. Whatever the Bible affirms, God affirms. Whatever the Bible denies, God denies. And he does so with sovereign authority. This book is the word of the living God. We've acknowledged its sufficiency. We've acknowledged its authority. Now, if I were making that case in the courtroom for the truth of God's word, as opposed to self-opinionated truths that people have, I would have to throw in a third point here, and the third point being the necessity of the Bible. God is infinite, and we are finite. God knows everything. Do you realize that? Nothing that will ever happen in your life, in your family's life, Nothing that will ever happen in this world ever catches God by surprise. He knows everything. Therefore, he is locked into his word exactly what we need for the exact moment we need it. God has chosen to reveal himself through the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the written word, the Bible. The witness provided by the word of God provides a testimony against those who choose to ignore it or reject it. No wonder we find these scriptures in the New Testament. Paul writing to the Thessalonian church. I want you to imagine the families of the Christian families there in Thessalonica gathering together in their church service. Maybe they're, they're in a little home and the home is filled with people. And Paul wrote to them, and, and the pastor stands up, and he reads 1 Thessalonians 5.27 to them. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to the brethren. Now, why would God say that to a church? Because God knows how important the Bible is to a church and to individual Christians, especially families. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 11, the Bible says uh, a word to, to John the apostle, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Why? So this, the, the, the letters, the, the, the truth of God's word could be re read and studied by the individual local New Testament churches. 
So why is the Bible such a necessity for families today? Well, it, it distinguishes between fact and fiction. Can I tell you, there, there's a lot of fiction out there today in the culture. And, and the Bible helps us to distinguish and differentiate between what's true and what's false, what's fact and what's fiction. Well, without the Word of God, we would be in a mess. It also provides a resource for counseling our kids. When your child comes to you and he asks you one of those hard questions, like, where did I come from? That's a hard question for a parent to, to answer to, to a little child. But you know what you have? You got the Word of God. You got the resource of the Word of God. And you can go to Psalm 139 and you can read to your child that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God created us. And you can separate fact from fiction. You can say, you need to understand, son, that evolution is fiction. And the truth of God's word that you are created is fact. That's what the Bible provides for families today. The Bible helps us to make good decisions as families. The Bible is a powerful source of hope. This week, I, I preached three funerals, three funerals in one week in seven days. And I've stood at the graveside of three believers who stepped into eternity to be with Jesus. And you know what I said at all three of those gravesides? I talked about the hope we have in Jesus. I'm not talking about a, an, a, a wish. I'm talking about a confident expectation that as a born-again believer, when you die and you step into eternity, that you will instantly be with Jesus. The Bible provides that kind of hope. And the Bible shapes our values. And it reveals how to find true life in Christ. It gives us a blueprint for marriage. It shows us how to please God. It helps us to grow spiritually. And it prepares us for the future. I'm teaching Revelation on Wednesday night. And I tell you, if ever there's been a time where we need to get some insight about what's going to happen coming down the road in the future, now is that time. And we find that insight in that prophetic uh, direction from the Word of God. It's not something we make up. It's not some novel that we read. It's from the Word of the living God. The Bible is an absolute necessity for the family because of its authority and because of its sufficiency. No wonder Moses challenged Jewish parents to be intentional about saturating their children with the Word of God. By the way, this idea that truth is relative and that it is constructed in our social settings has been around for a long, long, long time. It's nothing new. Well, that was the philosophy that Adam and Eve adopted back in the Garden of Eden when they listened to Satan instead of listening to the Word of God. Satan said, look, I want to give you a truth that you can claim for your own. 
You, you don't have to believe what God says. You need to have your truth. And they bought it hook, line, and sinker. And as a result, the world is in a fallen state, and you can see the consequences everywhere you look. Have you bought into the philosophy of your truth as opposed to the absolute unchanging truth of God's Word? Have you? Let me ask you, can you ever be sure that you're right about the cultural and moral issues of our day? Can you really be sure? Can you ever be sure that you are right about the eternal issues that await you after you die? You can't afford to be wrong. You can't. Moses counseled to Jewish parents thousands of years ago is so crucial at this point in time in our lives. What did he say? Nobody's truth trumps God's truth. Jesus, the Son of God, would die on the cross for your sins and be raised from the dead three days later. This book, the Bible, says this in John 3, 16 and 17, the very words of Jesus. Here's what he said. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's the truth of God's word. And yet, if you embrace the philosophy of this world, where you embrace your truth that you've socially constructed and you've developed in your own mind and you reject the truth of God's word, it puts you in a pickle. You got to ask yourself, was Jesus wrong? Was Jesus wrong when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me? Was he wrong? Or was he right? I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe the one who can be raised from the dead. That's what I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe the one who could walk on water. I'm going to believe the one who could speak into Lazarus' tomb and say, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus came forth. I'm going to believe the one who could touch a leper and, and, and tell him that he's clean, and he was clean. So let me ask you, are you willing, if you've embraced this philosophy of your truth over God's truth, are you willing to gamble with your soul and with the souls of your kids and your grandkids? I pray that the Holy Spirit will change your mind and that today will be a turning point for you and that you will embrace the truth of God's Word and, and reject the the. The, the, the my truth idea and philosophy that so many people have embraced in our culture. 
So I'm asking you today, will you, will you turn to Jesus? Will you believe in Jesus? Will you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord? Oh, I pray you will. I'll tell you what he'll do. If you believe him, if you believe his word, and you trust him as your Savior and Lord, he will forgive your sins. He'll remove your guilt. He will give you the gift of eternal life and abundant life. And there's nothing this culture that can provide you that will remotely compare with what Jesus can do for you. So come to Jesus today. And then for a final word to Christian families, you and your kids desperately need a strong, healthy belief in God's word. If ever that's been true, surely it's true today. I'm talking about a belief that goes down so deep into the fibers of your soul and your mind that it reveals your identity in Christ and your purpose in this life and your eternal destiny. Parents, please hear the word of God. Don't let the culture raise your kids. Be intentional. Teach your kids the Word of God. When you rise up, when you go to bed, when you walk throughout the day, look for opportunities to give them the Word of God and to shape their values so that their values match what God says in His Word. I don't want you to forget, nobody's truth trumps God's truth. You need to keep, teach your kids that. See, that's the truth about truth. I'm going to ask our staff to come, our worship team to come. This is going to be your opportunity to respond to what God may have said in your heart. I want to invite parents and families to come to this altar here in just a moment as we worship. You come to the altar. Grandparents, come to the altar. And I want you to pray over your family. I want you to pray for your kids and your grandkids. And pray, pray that they would be strong in the Word of God. Pray that they would have a biblical worldview and that you as mom and dad would have a biblical worldview. I'm going to invite you who are ready to believe Jesus. You may have walked in here today and, and, and you had bought into that philosophy, hey, my truth is just as real as your truth. And you know what? That, that's true as it relates to me. But my truth is not my truth. My truth is God's truth, the truth of God's word. Oh, how I encourage you. 
Let the Holy Spirit shift your mind and your heart away from the philosophy of this world, the philosophy of my truth to God's truth. And come to Jesus today. Trust him as your Lord and Savior. Our staff is here to pray for you. They're here to help you with these decisions. You can come to any staff member up front and they will help you and they will pray for you. And of course, you can come to the altar and pray and commit yourself to be a Christian family. If, if you're looking for a church home, you can come to one of our staff members and tell them that you're, you want to be a part of Carville First Baptist Church and we'll help you with that. So let's pray. And after we pray, let's make sure that we're not just a hearer of the word, but that we are a doer of the word. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for giving me this message. And I pray, Father, that you would use your word in our lives, in our families. And I pray that today we would witness before our eyes the grace of God at work in the hearts of people, families, and individuals. Lord, let there be spiritual breakthroughs here today that could only be attributable to your power and to your glory. In Jesus' name, 